I say, I say, welcome to V'ger, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I don't know why. I was trying to do, like, the stupid southern accent that we get to hear. This fucking turd-assed episode. Like a foghorn, leghorn, leghorn type I deal. was. I gave up on it literally three seconds after I started. And, and my name is Joseph. I'm Peter. I'm the one who's not doing uh, racist accents. <laughs> is it racist to make fun of southern people? I've, I don't... I, I don't have my like woke meter here so i don't know i haven't gotten a memo on that was foghorn leghorn supposed to be black no he's just supposed to be a southern like plantation ish guy you know i think like, if you say plantation it's there's a racist implication <laughs> plantation owner owner very different you know leonardo dicaprio's character from Django unchained oh yeah the epitome <laughs> of racial equality okay uh, speaking of mistakes, uh, I think we have our first. Uh... Oh, I thought you were going to go into this episode. Already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> speaking of of uh, less severe mistakes, we have our first V'ger please moops moment. I think to those of you who are not uh, personal friends of Peter and I, uh, there's a there's a group of us that uh, that thanks to our, our friend Jason Clark refer to a particularly big oops moment as a moops. Because an oops just won't do. Mm. And uh, we kind of moopsed pretty hard when we encouraged everyone to sign up for our Facebook discussion group. And then didn't realize that if we weren't logged into our Facebook page, that we couldn't see anybody who asked to join who wasn't personal friends of ours. Yeah. So there was like nine people waiting to like get approved that just sat there. Some of them for months. Sorry. <laughs> our bad. We're old. Yeah. And we suck. I am a big google guy and i was all about google plus all 12 of us and that has fallen and died and begrudgingly we're all in facebook now and my facebook foo is not that strong and yeah sorry but welcome to the family and if you out there would like to join a waiting list to join our little star trek closed group for four months yourself swing through facebook and check out the vija please trauma support group yes now now we'll actually approve you right away because yeah. we figured it out. <laughs> Go us. Sorry. Up next is uh, going to be us tackling how the hell Twitter works. <laughs> well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Peter. And we're both still here. So what made us stronger this week? Season three, episode 11. Q and the gray. Okay, so when we talked about Death Wish which seems like an eternity ago. I warned you that this was going to happen, right? I warned you like the sins of death wish. Isn't that that episode is particularly God awful bad. It's that it sets the stage for some of the most atrocious shit you will ever see. Did, did I undersell it or oversell it? How on the mark was I? I don't think I was ready for how bad this episode ended up being. (laughs) You never can really be ready because there's a lot of ways to be bad. And this one just to me shit the bed at an exponential rate. And it really did. Like as the running time increased, it got progressively exponentially worse until it reached some sort of terrible fractal at the end of the, uh, uh, the curve just like ascended into a new state of shittiness. What's going to be interesting about talking through this episode is it does so many things that every one of our podcasts I harp on is something I want. And that's using continuity, building off previous Voyager episodes, using old Star Trek lore and living in this environment that they have already created. And we just had at our mess hall, you know, talked about how these shows are built so they can be run in a vacuum. And this episode in particular really tightly clutches to um to so many episodes before it specifically the winnie the q one um and even warlord because they're using scenes out of uh the new neelix um sex planet that is correct and they take all these things that i thought i wanted and they go in terrible directions with them before we, we launch into the actual episode description I want to take a second to go to memory alpha. Have you looked at 
how this episode was received? I can't believe it. And I was going to save that to the end. There, there's two things that shocked the hell out of me on this Memory Alpha. One is the widespread praise that this thing got from whatever little review sites that they query. And two is every single member of the cast just gushing over how wonderful it was and how great. And John Delancey, who's <clears throat> appears to be a very crotchety person that is quick to shoot Star Trek the bird and kind of be reverent to his his role within the franchise, loving this thing. And it's like, I can't tell if this is just Hollywood career protection where people are like behind closed doors like this was a terrible fucking thing. But on the record, like, oh, it was wonderful and beautiful and such a sweet episode. But man, just or maybe you and I are just weirdo aliens who don't get it. I I don't think we are. I think that this is a dividing point of the kind of fan of Star Trek you are. I think I can understand that if you're a casual fan of Star Trek, that this was probably fine. It might have even been enjoyable. The kind of Star Trek fan who hates this is the kind of Star Trek fan who loves the things we love and appreciates Star Trek as being this semi-serious, at the very least, attempt at doing hard sci-fi, right? Yeah. And we like the world. And we like the continuity and we like the stakes and we like the deep storytelling. That's what we love about Star Trek. And the best parts of how Q was used in our favorite Star Trek show is a big part of that. And so I read all of this and I, too, had the same reaction you did of like, what the fuck? Actual shit, cock, non fuck shit crap is this like? I couldn't b- barely believe that all of these people were 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 s- self-filating themselves over this shitty episode that reduced the queue to a bunch of cartoon characters. But then I realized for a lot of people that consume Star Trek far more casually, they are cartoon characters. So this is fine. I, Do you know? You know, there's not going to be a lot of meat on the bone to... to get into with a play by play on this episode. So I, before we get into the review, I want to have this Q discussion up front. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, me too. Like if you, to our audience, if you were turning in for the blow by blow, we usually do where it, it, it shades of elogium. We're probably not going to, uh, the, the episode itself is not the interesting thing to talk about. It's the meta story and what this does to, the queue and how it was constructed and our problems with it. So strap yourself in folks. It's going to get pretty fucking dank. Our neck beards are going to start to sprout a little bit. Yeah, that's what's up. So strap yourself in. Q to me is this weird side of Star Trek. Cause Star Trek, like you said, it's grounded in science and politics and real decisions and, you know, there's this real human element and it can get gritty and all that other stuff. And then you've got these Q episodes where it just gets fantastic and very clearly moves into fantasy. And it, it's not something we can just disregard and say that that was a one off. Like the Star Trek that we focus on and that we have all, you know, you and I have come up on 24th century Star Trek. Q was right there off the jump. He's encounter at Farpoint. He is all good things. This isn't a a side show that you can just pick and choose when you want to acknowledge that it's part of the universe, right? Q is in the DNA of 24th century Star Trek. <clears throat> and he brings a lot of interesting things to the episodes that he come into. And sometimes they can be a little silly, but pointed. And sometimes they're very fucking scary encounter at far point. Q was terrifying. You know, he was a malevolent evil thing out there that was judging humanity. His actions that uh, tossed the Enterprise into the Delta Quadrant initially where they encountered the Borg for the first time and the entire chain of events that the Borg, you know, had impact on uh, the Alpha Quadrant, all terrifying space horror stuff. And that's all laid directly at his feet. Um, So he's this real serious power player. And do you like Batman? I do. I love Batman. And I hate 
JLA Batman because Batman in his own comics and his own, you know, animated series and stuff like that. It's a dude who is a peak human performer and has a ton of money and is smart, but is ultimately just a man who is relying on some parlor tricks and kung fu to get his way through the day. And they're real gritty, grounded stories. Uh, and they're cool. You know, he's the best at what he does, and he goes against the worst humanity has to offer. And then you put Batman in the JLA, and now he's standing side by side with Green Lantern and Superman and these people with godlike powers. And he kind of gets turned into like this ridiculous precog who is just off the charts. I have an answer for every question and a doodad for every thing. And he's, you know, kicking other gods asses shoulder to shoulder. His gods. You can't look at these people as the same guy. There's just there's Batman and Gotham. And then there's whatever this JLA Batman is. Right. And I think like, that's a I, I know exactly what you mean. The sort of character inflation. Yeah. Like he would be too much of a buster compared to these guys if they actually portrayed him the way that he sh- probably should be portrayed. So they have to inflate him. Right. And I think that that's kind of the way you have to look at these Q things. You can't ignore Q in Star Trek as this the science story, right? There's the regular Star Trek episodes and then you've got these JLA Q episodes. And they're good. They're 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 good for what they do. You know, it moves between the two of them. Again, you get stuff like the Borg and some of the other Q impacts. But by and large, the Q, it's a thing in Star Trek. You know, it's there, but it's not it's not easily accessible. They're quick to forget. If Q had a presence all the time, it would throw it would destroy what Star Trek is. So so they yes. they compartmentalize them, right? I, yeah, I would have liked to see an episode somewhere where they're just like, Q cannot be a magic genie that Starfleet captains call on at their time of greatest need. And, and um, you know, he is the most dangerous thing that Starfleet has ever encountered. And any interactions with him have to be treated as like a Omega level threat. Here's a Bible you must play by, because ultimately we're dealing with something that could, with a snap of his finger, erase our entire civilization, right? Like that's how scary and crazy dangerous Q is in my mind. And then you get this episode, which just pulls his teeth out and and like you said, turns him into a fucking Elmer Fudd character. I I don't want to discount that in TNG, there's occasional silliness when it comes to Q. You've got the episode where Q gets turned into a human. It's definitely like a lighter tone. There's the stuff with Vash. That's obviously a bit of a lighter tone. But even in those episodes, they don't tell you too much about Q. They don't tell you anything about what Q is really. And it plays into his kind of trickster god persona more appropriately. And all of his other episodes, though... He's used in a way that I think is really cool for the show in that he represents the unknown. We sort of talked about this in Death Wish, but it's worth going over again. He represents that which the Federation cannot truly explain, comprehend, or control as a force. And in a way, he presents himself as the bookend at the beginning of the end of the, of the show to demonstrate if humanity has progressed enough to be worthy of the continuation of exploration in the galaxy, right? And we theorized that Q's actual motivation for this could be that he is trying to raise humanity over the course of, you know, millennia to be a successor to the Q for whatever it is that they do, right? Mm. As the guardians of the galaxy, so to speak. Something like that. So even though it is somewhat magical, we'll say, it fits within this universe as the representation of something that they can't control with the 24th century super science they already possess. There's some things bigger and better than the whole introduction to the Borg being a perfect example of Q doing exactly like that. Like going to Picard and saying, oh, you think you're hot shit, huh? Well, hold on. Beat these guys. Yeah, can't fucking negotiate with these monsters, can you? Now beg me to save you. Yeah. Like, I love it, okay? I love it. And... Death Wish, when we were reviewing it, we even said then, like, 
the idea behind some of these 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 tangents they go on isn't necessarily bad. Like the idea that there's some some discontent within the continuum, that there's some cue that wants some more agency in their lives. Stagnation. Stagnation. What role humanity might play in that? Why are they so interested in them? Something that you could have told them something, but not too much. But what did we settle on? It's like when they decide to go to the Q continuum and have that whole scene, they start to tell you way too much. Right? And once the mystery is gone, that's a problem. I think this is what we call the the dark elf treatment, right? Yeah, the drow treatment. Like the the R.A. Salvatore, uh, everyone loves uh, Drizzt so much. We're gonna we're gonna fucking just overuse this shit. We're going to implicitly detail the strengths and the weakness and the culture <clears throat> and whatever you might have had in your own head as a possibility. We are going to explicitly dispel some of those thoughts, and we are going to use our poor writing team power to. To spell out exactly what these guys are, and it's going to be a big disappointment. So you've had this galactic menace that, you know, jumping back into the TNG episodes, and I can't speak for DS9, so I I don't know how he was really used there. But like the one where he got his power stripped, I thought that was still a great episode because and, and a scary episode because you see the reach and the problems that this guy has caused across the galaxy and they come knocking and it's a good intersection of fantasy and Starfleet bureaucracy and you know how do you treat this guy who has now become a political refugee or whatever um but where we go in this episode is is to the hilt showing you everything you never wanted to see about the queue I think the best that this episode gets is the beginning <clears throat> like many Voyager episodes they pack a lot of cool world building about Starfleet and life on a starship and whatever in the pre-credit scene, right? So uh, when they're all standing on the bridge and watching a supernova, which is a pretty rare occurrence for Starfleet to actually be around to witness, they said something like, what, only 5% of Starfleet ships get to witness this or something? I think it was like two, period. Two have witnessed it. Uh, And they're all standing around and clapping. I thought that was a really cool scene. I thought it would have been really neat if they were all in the holodeck, like standing there around holograms, watching it happen instead of just the view screen. But, you know, I get 97 TV budget. Uh, But unlike a lot of these cold openings, this scene is going to directly tie into later as to why they actually had the good. Well, why they had the opportunity to see the star go supernova. I, I have to say, like, when you can say that the part of the episode where all the sexual harassment happens is the good part, that's sad. But sure enough, they're standing around, they watch the supernova, they ooh and ah over it. Uh, Star Snarf gets really excited. Ultimately, though, Janeway looks exhausted. Chicote calls her calls her on and go, why don't you hit that hit the hay instead of doing more analysis on this? We get, we'll take a look at the stuff tomorrow. And she says, sure. She goes down to her quarters and they're done up like the fucking uh, honeymoon suite in a hotel. And sure enough, Q is there in his bathrobe looking like uh, that character that Christopher Walken plays on Saturday Night Live and looking for love from Kathy Janeway. My favorite part of this scene is that she she calls for security. And I I think that that stands out as perhaps the most ridiculous part of this entire terrible episode. Like what, what are two guys with phasers, two security people who have already gotten their asses kicked by Ferengi. (laughs) What are they possibly going to do to Q other than maybe get turned into popsicles or desold on accident or whatever? Like, you know, uh, one of the things among the many that I hate about this episode is the detached uh, amusement and disrespect that the entire crew shows to Q in the first like 15, 20 minutes. I mean, you, you we're going to be uh, treated to the likes of Tom Paris and Harry Kim talking shit to a space god. 
They don't give a fuck. They're like, oh, you're just a fucking asshole, Q. Whatever. We're going to leave now. I like, couldn't this- stand any of that either. Let you know, I, I want to spend some time on that specifically when we get to it, because that is a real big deal and, and a big part of the disservice that this does to the franchise, I think. But in this bedroom, Q starts laying out this agenda of why he's there, and it is that some things have been set into motion and that he has become self-aware and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of it, he wants to procreate and he has picked out of all of sentient life in the galaxy, Catherine Janeway to be the mother of his child. There is never an explanation as to why that aside from her being human, right? That, that explanation is given that he specifically wanted a human woman because of humanity's compassion. But why it's specifically Catherine Janeway, other than they'd met before, is never given. But nevertheless, it gives Q this opportunity to clownishly banty about Voyager, both on camera and off camera, for some extended period of time, trying to woo Kathy into banging him and making a baby with him. So Kenneth Biller is the guy who wrote this script, right? And he, you know, according to memory alpha, he did some research in this and wasn't really familiar with the Q subject material. So he went back and watched a couple of episodes, which seemed to me like he just focused on, um, death wish, the, the predecessor and skipped all of the other, uh, Q episodes from Next Gen, where a lot of the stuff that they touch on, specifically in this scene, they contradict. One, we know that Q are able to make people fall in love with them, right? Uh, because, two, uh, he says, you know, Q have never procreated before, and this is going to be a big deal, and it's so important, and, you know, we're going to do this thing, and and it's going to change everything. You jump back to the next gen episode with Amanda Rogers. What was it? Um, do you remember that episode Q- was called Q two? Was that Q two? Maybe I know. I know what one you're talking about, though. True Q. So true Q from next gen. And if this get, Mike Biller guy is going to watch anything here, I'm sorry, Kenneth Biller is going to watch anything. Q two touches on all the stuff before Q have procreated. Right? Q cube split off from the continuum. Uh, they went to Earth. They set their powers aside. They had a child with uh, normal conception methods. She grew up thinking she was human. The continuum found out about her. They killed her parents off with a hurricane or something, and she ended up on the Enterprise. And uh, so, yeah, Q can reproduce, and they are a big deal. That was a whole episode all about that. And in that episode specifically, Amanda Rogers used her Q powers to force Riker to fall in love with her, and then she was quickly... um, disenchanted by the notion of that because she still had these human values and understood that, you know, consent and all that stuff's a big part of love and that what she was getting, whatever. So if Q really wanted to win this and we'll find out that there's a civil war going on in within the continuum, if he really did think that mating with Catherine Janeway was going to be the answer to all this, he could have just snapped his fingers, made him fall in love and, and done whatever he was ultimately going to do. But yeah, like you said, like, why does it have to be Janeway? Certainly she's got some skin in the game because she was an advocate to let uh, Winnie the Q kill himself. Yeah. Was that the right? She was she the made? one that ultimately made the decision to allow uh, uh, Quinn to have mortality. And uh, but yeah, they don't explain why. And if it's just were, DNA they wanted. I mean, they could have taken DNA from anywhere. If he wanted it to be specifically Catherine Janeway's, he could have made her fall in love. There's there's all this precedent that just gets ignored. Or at least explained why he specifically wanted Catherine Janeway and why he specifically wanted her to want to do it. They don't do any of that. And it just seems to be an excuse so that John Delancey can go around and Clown it up, like you said. Yeah, be a cartoon character and, you know, uh, be this lovesick, lovelorn, you know, attempting to impress Captain Janeway, uh, try and bro down with with Tom and Harry for relationship advice, talk shit to Snarf Snarf. Probably yeah, what you call old. him? Uh, <laughs> you, bar rodent, another drink. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> best line of the episode. Followed up by the second best line, which is uh, him slamming on Chakotay's face tattoo. And he's like, what's Chuckles over here got that I don't? A face tattoo? Well, I've got a better one. And like his entire half of his face is like a uh, tribal tattoo crap, which but uh, no, the the bar rodent slam, I thought was really good. But yeah, we've we, we get this. F- 10 minutes or no, maybe about 10 minutes or so of Q interacting with the crew at large. And it's what I was talking about before that there has to be a memo out there. It says like this guy, I don't know if you're into SCP at all. Uh, I certainly know what it is. The secure contain protect uh, spooky internet Wikipedia thing. Oh yeah. 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 <clears throat> I love it. I mean, you're going to classify Q as a, as a Euclid level threat, right? This guy is like as bad as it can get. He can, unwrite humanity if he wants and the flippant casual manner and you know the the crew says look we've read the enterprise's files on you we know what you're about and we're gonna sit there and like try and diss you like q is responsible for a lot of federation deaths and and to treat this guy like he's you know the dude who works at the smoothie place at the mall I don't know, man. It doesn't uh, it doesn't work for me. Let's let's dive back into why this episode doesn't work. This seems like the good time to do it. So for me, all of this is stupid because in the only other episodes where Q sort of conveys the sort of personal interest in people, it's because he has some kind of interest in kind of watching them interact with their environment. So he fucks with Picard and everybody in the holodeck and the whole uh, everyone's in the Robin Hood thing, yeah. right? Or all the shit with Vash. He's just kind of like having fun poking with his fucking gerbils, right? Like that's what it looks like. It's like Q taking a little bit of a mental break and just kind of playing with some people, seeing what what they do. Like a not, scientist. Not, yeah, he's like, like a scientist with mice in a maze. Uh, when he turned Riker into a Q to see how that worked out, he never regards these little ant people as peers. And the notion that he would go to any of these people realistically trying to get real advice like this guy's uh, I'm not. I'm going to screw this word. <laughs> um, omnipotent, right? Yeah. You've got a guy who knows everything about everything, and he's going to go to fucking Harry Kim and ask how to get into Catherine Janeway's pants. It seems like he's desperately failing, which is not something that Q does ever. And it it starts the episode on the wrong foot, at the very least. And it gets exponentially worse because what we find out is that this is all happening because... Q accidentally started a Q civil war. And this gets conveyed when his Q girlfriend shows up. <laughs> this is a sequel episode in two ways. The The first way we can say is that this is a direct result of um, Death Wish where Quinn the Q, Winnie the Q dies. Uh, the second way that this is a, a part of a, a trilogy, if you will, <clears throat> is way back in Next Gen when we had the episode where Worf's girlfriend comes on the ship and Worf finds out that he is a daddy, they introduce Alexander Rojanko and we've got clear his uh, half human, half Klingon baby mama. And next gen makes a mistake in killing her off. I thought she was a great character back then. And I thought it was a real squander of talent it was a mistake to put Alexander Rojanko as a regular fixture on Next Gen, um, but it did get Duras iced with a bat left to the chest, so that was pretty cool. But fast forward to here, and Q's girlfriend is Susie Plaxton, who was, uh, again, Worf's baby mama back on Next Gen. And- yeah, Claire, and, and I love that episode. I like that she died because it's at the table for like the most unexpectedly fuck you ending of a TNG episode of all time. I.e. Worf literally just going to the guy's ship and murdering him and Picard being like, well, that actually solved the problem and I don't like it. Um, And I'm not going to hold you accountable for murder, (laughs) but I'm going to be very disappointed in you. (laughs) Um, 
uh, I, I love that episode. I kind of like that. That's just kind of where it ended because it isn't what you expected to have happen. Like when I watched it initially, I'm like, oh shit, did she die? <laughs> like, yeah, what? <laughs> so yeah, same actress, uh, and she shows up and and it gets conveyed that uh throughout the episode that because of Quinn dying, uh, there was more of a movement of Q towards self-determination and whatever. And, and the Q that we know, the John Delance Q decided the, to the hold the banner for that, blah, blah, blah. Point is the Q are having a civil war and it's causing in real space, supernovas everywhere, which is what, t- t- you know, t- kind of clues in the Federation people. Like this is the after effect on real space for all of your bullshit. Okay. They basically, hint that the Q continuum exists purely in subspace. Correct me if I'm wrong. In some kind of dimension beyond our current perception that impacts subspace, yes, at the very least that. There's a heavy tie into subspace and whatever is going on in the Q world. And You said that he accidentally causes civil war. I mean, they make it pretty clear, I think, that Q intentionally is ramrodding this thing. And he made as much known at the end of... uh, death wish that he was going to push this agenda hard, that there was going to be a upheaval. So Susie Plaxton pops in, um, in an ill-fitted command jumpsuit, starts talking down to all these little ant people that her boyfriend chooses to play with on a regular basis. And this is, I think where everything really starts fall. Like as if all, you know, Q chasing after Janeway, wasn't stupid enough. The fact that Q's got a girlfriend, she's playing the jealous girlfriend angle. This real, I don't know, schlocky gods talking to people routine that they've tread over too many times. Um, And ultimately they get caught next to some uh, supernovas, which they've described are the results of Q weaponry, right? So the Q aren't just, telepathically assaulting each other, whatever. They've got, like, guns, and these guns result in supernovas, and Voyager's going to get caught in it. Janeway's like, hey, get this ship out of here, my crew. I'm worried about their safety. Get us out of here. And then Q takes himself and Janeway away and leaves uh, Susie Plaxton's character, which we'll call Susie Q, behind with the rest of Voyager to get rocked by these supernovas. And then Janeway finds herself in a old colonial type home. I get excited for a moment and think we might be back in her hollow novel, which I somehow (laughs) have come to appreciate. But no, Um, Q comes walking in in a uh, Civil War unions officer outfit and says that this is another one of his... uh, interpretations of the continuum so her little brain can understand what's going on and that they are once again in the continuum uh with a bad skin job over it last time it was like that abandoned route 66 gas station yep yep but now it's uh i don't know a southern plantation in the middle of the civil war with explosions and fires going on outside okay so (laughs) all right okay i hate this episode joe i don't even I don't this even want to talk. Me. I don't want to talk about this shit anymore either. The problem is, at its core, that we are talking about immortal beings with godlike powers that have been around since the dawn of time, as far as human beings could possibly conceive of it, and they are portrayed up to this point, and then even worse from this point forward, as being brainless non-thinking idiots cartoon characters that apparently don't think on any kind of second level let alone uh as as you would expect beings of their sophistication to think um they are ultimately outsmarted by our crew uh suddenly showing up in their own civil war uniforms shooting their own q weapons at them and just getting outclassed somehow like it, it, there's no I've explanation got that in my given notes. Tom Paris puts the Q general in check with a gun to his head. Right. That is more. 
ridiculous to me than Tom going warp 10 and turning into a lizard person and having sex with Janeway. Which, yeah, it is. You're absolutely fucking right. It absolutely is. You're right. And that's what's so fucking sad is that this episode doesn't know what to do to 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 continue with its its idea. It tries to sell this whole uh, this is all a metaphor for what's actually happening, which sort of worked for the one time they did it. But told you too much, but at least I could accept it for that like one scene. But they try and sell half the fucking episode with this stupid Civil War shit. And everyone is is a cartoon character. And then it ends like an episode from the goddamn animated series with people cartoonishly running up through enemy lines in these uniforms, shooting guns. No one dies. No one bleeds. Nothing bad happens. Everything goes back to normal. And the queue just look like buffoons. They don't I want look to... scary. They don't seem like the kind of of being that holds space and time in their hand that might be testing humanity for greater purpose. That are scary, you know, uh, facets of the unknown that you can never control and you should always fear. They're fucking clowns. They're clowns that Tom Paris, carrier of all the Delta Quadrant syphilis, known felon, can not only shit talk to, but then hold hostage. Yeah. The Civil War thing <clears throat> Q introduces because, you know, the Q is going through its the continuum is going through its own Civil War and he likens it all to the American Civil War. There's so much imagery that they're using here, uh, and, and I, I want to put one of my biggest gripes on the table. In the continuum, you have the establishment, right, which is the status quo. And then you have Q's rebellion faction that says, we want individual liberty. We want to be our own thing. We don't want to subscribe to your government values anymore. If you had to, if you had to put him on a side between the <laughs> Union and the yeah. Confederate, where yeah. would it have been appropriate to put the rebel forces, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Are you saying that uh, RQ should have been in gray? He should have been a fucking Confederate. Like, yeah, you're going to bring this image and this metaphor on the table. I mean, it, th- again, this this Kenneth Billingsley or whatever, on top of not bothering to watch back to uh, whatever the fucking episode with Amanda Rogers was on top of the fact you don't know your own Star Trek history. You don't know your fucking American history. This is don't jam this goddamn American Civil War in my face and then put people blatantly on the wrong fucking sides because yeah, if you're going to use this as an allegory, use it correctly. Yeah, because you don't want, you know, John DeLancey's cue to be associated with slavery because, (laughs) oh, no, it's not like he hasn't done worse things in his fucking history. Uh, So that's a big problem I had with this. Um, And again, I keep going back to Amanda Rogers. Q's plan. They want this humanizing element to radically transform the cue. They want this human spirit and and flame to come into their old stagnant establishment. Where is she at? Last time we saw her, she went off with Q to go embrace being a Q. Everything he wants out of a baby with Janeway, she has already brought into the continuum. So like, I would have liked a throwaway line saying, oh, by the way, she didn't work out. We executed her. All that stuff I uh, did with the card was a dog and pony show. She's dead. We killed her. Right. Um, because without it, she's alive. She's out there somewhere. She's answered all these questions. Give me some closure on that. Yeah, for for an episode that was trying to lean into its continuity, the fact that at no point anyone ever addressed and Amanda Rogers was already this thing. That's a really good point. I also like the line that uh, Janeway has speaking of um, of Warp 10. Uh, she, she turns to Q and she says, I could never have a child with someone I didn't love, much less give it up. Kenneth, did you not watch Threshold? <laughs> she had a child with Tom Paris. They made the decision to leave their children, their their lizard baby children, on a planet alone without their mommy in the Delta Quadrant as they flew away. Like, Janeway, you goddamn liar. It's I like about the episode itself. I have nothing else to say. It's stupid. They end up having the fucking Q baby and it solves all the problems that Janeway's the godmother. Hooray, I guess. It reduces the Q to toothless cartoon characters that even Tom Paris can talk shit to. Yeah. And that is um, fucking sad shit. 
when they leave uh, Susie Q behind on Voyager in the middle of like the supernovas, she's deciding that they're going to need to go into the continuum to get involved, right? She's going to bring the crew in to try and track down Janeway in Q1. She gives uh, Roxanne, she gives um, Balana uh, hypertech, right? She's like, yeah. uh, I'm going to show you how to get in the continuum. We're going to fly into a supernova and I'm going to give you uh, some some tweaks so you can overclock your shield so they're 10 times more powerful than they were before and we're going to be able to survive the supernova and the transformation into the Q continuum like is that technology that gets to stick around because you now have the most powerful shields in the galaxy you want to talk about technology that's going to revolutionize that and then there was again, enough of a, there was enough of a suggestion in that scene that said to me that this was like like overclocking, just like you said. You could do it for a real quick minute to like sneak into the supernova hole into the continuum, but uh, wouldn't necessarily be a long term plan. That didn't bother me as much. You know what did bother me? There the was... fact that they just flew the fucking ship into the Q continuum, and there was no like adjustment period for the crew. They just show up with flintlock muskets and and go to town. Yeah. Yeah, they just show up with Q weapons, just like, hey, we're here, guys. Like, no explanation. They just have them because the female Q gave them to them, I guess. But they never address it in any way, shape, or form. That bothered me way fucking more. But at that point, I was so numb to what was happening. Did what bother you was the fact that uh, Q1 and Janeway get taken imprisoned by the Union, I'm sorry, by the Confederate forces and are going to be executed until the Voyager crew has to diligently jailbreak them Yeti, how many jail? <laughs> this is hot on the heels of Warlord jailbreak too. <clears throat> I want to jump back into Warlord. Warlord was so fucking good, and and high stakes and crazy. Could there be any stakes higher than what we're seeing right now? In in this episode, you have not only cues in the middle of a crazy civil war that's resulting in supernovas all over the galaxy. You've got. <clears throat> the captain about to be executed at the stake. And there's just no feeling of urgency or danger or anything like that whole battle sequence is just a complete fucking waste. You compare that to warlord where you're like, I felt like there was real impact and gravity and there was none of that in this. But what really bothered you? That they thought they made a good episode that they thought this was a great idea. Even John Delancey thought it was good. That nobody involved in the production and writing and directing and acting on this episode apparently took a second to say, maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe we shouldn't make the most interesting, you know, mysterious, Scary. persistent antagonist force in our entire franchise out to be fucking clown shoes that nobody should ever be afraid of ever again. Maybe we shouldn't have Tom Paris and Harry Kim stunt all over a god. But you know what? It gets worse. Certainly explains what they did to the Borg. What? You got more pain to come, my friend. I don't know, man. This is a real low point for this show. Like, we've seen some bad episodes, but like this and and... Have fun editing this uh, podcast. I don't know if you <laughs> be able to make this into anything at all worth listening to for our, the poor people at home who might have already braved through uh, Q and the Gray just to get to this podcast. But um, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad, guys. Like, it's hard for us to be funny about this shit. Like when Peter and I, we wanted to do this podcast because we kind of we appreciate track on a similar level, obviously. And we've discussed that many times throughout the years. And I so I knew he was going to hate this. I knew I was going to hate it. I already seen it. And I already knew I hated it. But I guess. Uh, there's just nothing boy. fun. Yeah. I, I mean, no like they tried to tell a fun episode with all the zany hijinks that go on. But um, I, the, the best I can say about this is that Q calls Neelix a bar, a bar rodent. Yeah. And that we get to see the Federation observing a really cool supernova and seeing a bunch of scientists geek out emotionally over it. And that's it. The rest of it is, is garbage scene after garbage scene in, in 
TV that should have never happened. You've taken a very powerful storytelling piece out of the Star Trek um, pantheon and shit all over it and and turned it into a flea market novelty. Uh, you've told a historically incorrect <laughs> portrayal of the Civil War. You've taken the best part about all good things, possibly one of the most moving and incredible hours of television ever made and fucked it into the dirt because how is that guy? How is that cue the same dude as this guy? How is that even fucking possible? It's not, it's fucking not. And the fact that it happened is bad enough. The fact that nobody, nobody involved in the production of this fucking episode Apparently had the sense God gave a bunch of rocks to know what damage they were doing and how fucking bad this is. Every single person on that should have been like, you know what? I really wish this was like um, a Kazon episode. I wish this was another Vidian episode. I wish that Voyager hadn't lost its balls and would have stuck to the Delta Quadrant plan of introducing new ideas and and playing with their own toys instead of going back into the next gen toy box to desperately try and claw viewership numbers back up because it's like everything that they seem to be touching from the alpha quadrant lately they're just mishandling and again it makes me want them to go back to the initial vision of the show and and give me new stuff and play in this new space and tell new stories instead of going back to old stories and pooping on them. I would much prefer them to take newer, greasier shits than, than these. That's for, for gosh darn sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what do we have next? Fuck it. It's all we can do is move on. I'm trying to think in my mind, like, was this worse than a low jump? Yes. Yes. Yes, it was. This made me angry. Elogium just bored me. What Elogium is the worst episode that, that you think we've watched up to this point? I would still say that overall, as far as uh, uh, like beginning to end, terrible. Twist. I, I, I think Twisted's a unique combination of both boring and ridiculous in a way that uh, is uniquely awful. Um, I would say Elogium is a worse watch because it's boring. Uh, but this is an all-time low because it destroys something beautiful. Yeah, I mean, even if this you take Tattoo and some of the... I, I think I'm going to go ahead right now and give you Q and the Grey as the worst episode of Voyager we've seen so far. And I'll have to go back and check my notes when we do the uh, Season 3 rip. But for yeah for the the personal damage the offensive level of of insult that this thing manages to deliver i i think this is the worst but moving on from here man only up from here what do we got we got season 3 episode 12 i don't know how to say this word mac macrocosm you got it after returning from a first contact mission, Janeway, Neelix, and the Doctor must retake Voyager from an infestation of microorganisms. Well, you know, uh, you play with neural gel packs and you get you get sick with the viruses. Hey, it's like you it's like you know what they're gonna do. This I don't know what it, they're gonna do. Because well, then, Janeway and Neelix and the Doctor were out, so that means Neelix wasn't around to be poisoning the ship with cheese so this is going to be interesting to see where this uh microorganism came from if it's not the local saboteur neelix it's uh it's a it's above average episode um it, it it's really like the the janeway action show which is a little weird but uh this will be a nice it'll be a nice improvement you will actually possibly enjoy the hour you spend watching this <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Don't watch Q the Grey. Stay the fuck away from it. I mean, it, yeah. I wish that we could just say that it never happened, but there's going to be there's a third more. installment. Yep. We're not done. We're not done. And not to, to, to put us on an even worse note, but 
what I said before is true. Uh, this prefaces the damage that they do to the Borg. I don't know if you've heard that rap on Voyager or not. No. But a common complaint about Voyager is that Voyager ruined the Borg. And I would say that that is at least partially true. It'll be interesting to see. Is it tied into this episode specifically or is that its own story? No, just sort of like a trend that they don't understand why certain things are as cool as they are. And they write them in ways that destroy some of that mystique. Yeah. Well, I really feel bad for Susie Plaxton, man. Like, I, I think it was a shitty character. I didn't like she felt real two dimensional. And I think that her stint as clear in next gen showed that she had a lot of depth that she could bring to these characters. And I was very disappointed that this is the way they chose to bring it. She played a Vulcan at some point, too, I think, in next yeah, Dr. Solar. Yeah. This, you know, for for major screen time on her. Uh, it's a shit bad episode that did nothing but bad and everybody should feel bad. And instead, everybody loved it. I, I This is a real head scratcher for me, Joe. I, I don't get it. Let me banish this fucking thing. I, I, I got to get away from this. All right. Fair enough. Thanks for listening, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> Life is pain. All matter. None of it matters anyway. Goodbye. <laughs>